Everybody say so much more. I want to preach a message to you today called Count the Stars. Count the Stars. You know, I remember when I was in college, I used to go on runs all around uh, our campus at Oral Roberts University, and I'd go running through the night, and I'd find this hill that was on the backside of our campus, and I would run up to the top of that hill. It'd be dark, starry night, and I was searching for my purpose. I was searching. I was, you know, talking to God, but I would sing to God because I was a singer-songwriter. I had a band, so I'd run up there, and I'd just start singing and you know, I sang, I sang songs that I had memorized growing up. I was a huge fan of Michael W. Smith and Stephen Curtis Chapman, two of the greatest of all time, Christian singer-songwriters. And there was this song that got stuck in my head ever since I was like 13. It was kind of like my life song. And I remember sitting up on that hill, looking up at the starry night, and I started to sing. The wind is moving, but I am standing still. A life of pages waiting to be filled. A heart that's hopeful, a head that's full of dreams. But this becoming is harder than it seems. Feels like I'm picked a way too high key to sing this. Looking for a reason, Robin. Come on, sing it out if you know it. My place in this world, my place in this. Where's like the 10 Michael W. Smith fans in the house? And I was like constantly searching for my place in this world. I was wondering, God, is there more? Is there more to my life? Because I felt like I was hitting lids. I felt like there was a ceiling over where my life was. And honestly, when I talked with God, I felt like God would sing to me. I grew up in a singing family. My mom was a singer. My sisters were singers. My brother John was a singer. My dad tried to be a singer. And we just sang a lot. We watched musicals all the time. We memorized all the Disney songs. And oftentimes, I would feel like God was singing back to me. So I'd be like, God. I want to be where the people are. <laughs> up where they walk, up where they run, up where they wander and free. Wish I could be part of that world. And then I felt like God would be like, do you trust me? <laughs> of course I trust you. Do you trust me? I can show you the world, shining, shimmering, splendid. Tell me, Prince Paul, now when did you last? Let your heart decide a whole new world. Don't you dare close your eyes. A new fantastic point of view. No one to tell us no or where to go or say we're only dreaming a whole new world. A dazzling place we've never been. And when we're way up here, it's crystal clear that now I'm in a whole new world. Y'all are like, what is happening at church right now? I'll tell you what's happening. I'm taking you on an adventure. Because what God would speak to me often on those runs in the middle of the night is he would say, Paul, I've got more for you. I've got a whole new world that you haven't seen anything yet. And what God would speak to me often is don't get so limited with what you can see in your natural eye. 
Don't get so limited with what you see right here, right now. I know you're searching for a place, searching for a purpose. You feel like you don't fit in. You're not sure if you belong here. You're not sure if there's more to this life. And what I would honestly hear God oftentimes whispering is, I can show you the world. I would hear God saying, I've got so much more in store for you. And what I want to challenge you this morning with is this thought. How do you see God? Do you see God as a big God who has more for your life, or do you see God as a small God who has less for your life? A.W. Tozer, one of the, the most brilliant theologians of our time, he said this. He said, the most important thing about a person is how they view God, how they view God. What do you think about when you think about God? Do you think God's a defeated God? Do you think God's a mad God, a sad God, a bad God? Do you think God is a distant God, that he doesn't care about the details of your life, that he only gets involved in the big deals? Because how you view God will determine the life that you live. And the second most important question he said about a person is how do you think God views you? And I want to take you to a part in the Bible that kind of reminds me of, of when I would have those talks with God, those Disney sing-offs with God. And it's in Genesis 15 where God shows up to a man named Abram. If you have a Bible, go to Genesis 15, verse 1. Yes! Genesis 15, verse 1. It says, after these things, the Lord came to Abram in a vision. After these things. Now, Abram was in a tent. So this is nighttime, starry sky. And it says, we know he's in a tent because in verse five, he gets out of the tent. But in verse one through four, he's in this tent. And oftentimes, we have created our own tents over our life. We've created our own limitations, self-imposed limitations. We kind of go through life and when things don't work out, we become more and more closed off to dreaming big. Don't get your hopes up. Just learn to live inside the tent. Just learn to think inside the tent. Just learn, this is the only light that you have just right here inside the tent. This is your life. And it says, God showed up to Abram's tent in a vision. So God's like, Abram, I need to talk to you. And Abram's like, I'm not getting out of my tent. <laughs> and, and Abram's got an attitude with God. Because if you notice the first three words of this verse, after these things, everybody say, after these things. What are the things we're, we're talking about? Well, in Genesis, let me get some more space here. In Genesis chapter 12, God told Abram, you're gonna have kids, you're gonna be blessed, you're gonna be a blessing to the nations of the earth. And by chapter 15, 20 years later, it hadn't happened yet. What do you do when, when you know God said something's gonna happen and it doesn't happen? It doesn't happen 12 months later. It doesn't happen two years later. It doesn't happen four years, five years. You're like, God, I thought I would be married by now. Lord, I thought we'd have children by now. Lord, I thought that I was gonna get the, the scholarship. I'm still paying student loans. Lord, I thought I'd be out of debt by now. I thought you promised that I would be the lender and not the borrower, but here I am. And I'm frustrated. And in our frustration, we put ourselves in the tent. Here Abraham is, he's in the tent. And by the way, his name's not Abraham yet. He hasn't gotten the ham yet. He hasn't gotten the bacon yet. He's just Abram, just Abram, no ham, just Abram. But God's about to change Abram before he changes Abram's situation. God is more concerned with changing you than he is with changing your situation. 
He's more concerned with fixing what's going on in your life because if you're a complainer and then you get your dreams answered, you carry that complaining attitude into the next season. If you're an excuse maker and, 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 and you get your dreams answered, you get the promotion, but you carry that excuse-making mentality into the next season, making excuses, showing up late, frustrated, making excuses for bad behavior. Making, God's more focused on changing you first before he changes your situation. So God shows up to Abram. He says, Abram, I am your shield. I'm your abundant compensation. I am your reward, and it is exceedingly great. Now, what God was trying to do, he was trying to show Abram, you are so fixed and focused on what you're missing right now. Abram had camel, Abram had cattle, Abram had servants, Abram had money, but he didn't have children, so none of the other stuff mattered. There's a lot of people that have a lot of stuff, but they're still unhappy because they're fixed and focused on the one thing that's missing. So you can have all the money in the world and still be miserable if your marriage is a wreck or your son doesn't like you, right? Because you go home, you got all the money, you're the big man on campus at your job, but you go home and things are a mess there. And no matter how much money you get, you're still frustrated. You're still in this tent of discouragement because you're missing the one thing that you want so bad. Abram wanted a child. And God's like, listen, Abram, I know that's what you want. You are so focused on my hand, I'm trying to get you to focus on my face. You're focused on a handout from God instead of a relationship with God. There's a lot of Christians that are tent dwellers and we're, we're asking God to give us things and God's saying, would you just realize that I'm enough for you? I am your exceedingly great reward. I'm your shield. I'm everything. If you will seek God's face, then the byproduct will be what's in God's hand. It'll be a manifestation of your relationship with God that produces the things you've been dreaming on, that you've been waiting for. But if you're so focused on what you can get from God, instead of getting to know your God, you're going to miss out on what God wants to actually bring to you. There's a lot of Christians that just want something from God. Just give this to me, God. Just do this for me. And God's saying, I need you to know that I'm your reward. Children will come. You'll get married. But I just, I want you to learn in this season that I am your reward. I'm your gift. There was a, a time when I had forgotten to get a present for my wife. And it was such a late notice situation. It was a holiday time. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to wrap myself up and be a present for her. <laughs> and I didn't have any wrapping paper. <laughs> Y'all like, this is weird. But I just came up to Ashley and I was like, babe, happy birthday. I am your exceedingly great reward. I am your present. And she was like, give me some money to go buy a real present. I love you, honey but I would like an actual gift. It didn't work. But God was like, Abram, I am your present. I'm your reward. And you know what Abram says to him in verse two? He says this, God, what can you give me? Here he is in his tent again. What can you give me? I'm going on from this world childless. So all the money I have, everything I have, it's going to a servant in my house. He's the heir to all of this stuff. It's not even gonna stay in my family. And then Abram tells God, God, look, Look at my life. Look at my life. This is all I got, God. Look. As if God can't already see. God is the greatest looker that there ever was of lookers. 
God's like, I know. <laughs> and Abram's like, just look, just look. Would you look at that? Would you look at that? Would you look at this? Look at it, God. And God's like, I see. And Abram's like, no, you don't see. Come down here and look at my life. There's so frustrated, God. <laughs> if only you would fix the problems in my life. If only you would resolve the tension in my family. If only. And Abram's frustrated because he's getting pressure from his wife. His wife's like, hey, God, didn't God tell you we were going to have kids? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, well, why hasn't it happened yet? Have you ever felt pressure from people on, on things that you know are supposed to happen, but they haven't happened yet, and you don't have an answer for people? And they're like, how come you haven't gotten married yet? You're like, well, why don't you go down to the husband shop and get me a husband? Why don't you go down to the wife shop and buy me a, Your family's like, when are you going to get married? Why don't you find a girl? Okay, yeah, sure, I'll just go down there and get one off the tree and get, get married. Like, I'm trying my heart. I'm why haven't you had kids yet? Why haven't you gotten out of debt yet? Why haven't you seen this? And you're like, God, look, 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 look at my life. Look. Is this as good as it gets? And, and we create these ceilings. We build these tents. I was sharing this last week that I found this picture in my dad's office of, of this street, this area, this land from 30 years ago. And, and my grandma, she asked me, she works here at the church full time as, as a secretary for me. Come on. She's the boss around here. <laughs> grand, grand. She said, do you want to hold on to this picture? I said, yeah, I love this picture because whoever took this had to know, had to realize there's more than meets the eye. Right, you got ORU right here, you got the, the Arkansas River, but you got cow pastures right here, trees right here, some coyotes back there, some lizards back there, but nothing else. Imagine if my dad would have driven by and said, oh man, that's some nice cow pastures, we don't want to mess with that, let's let the cows continue to possess the land over there, and the coyotes are going to possess that land, and we're not even going to... We'll just keep on renting places. We're never going to own our own you know, building. We'll never be able to start a Christian school or Bible college. But what did my dad do? He didn't accept the current picture as a permanent vision for the future of our church. He took that current picture. This is what a lot of people do. A lot of people take the current picture of their life and they bring it into their tent. And, and we build memorials and museums over the picture of our life. This is as good as it gets. This is as good as it gets. I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to have children. I'll never get out of debt. We'll never be able to afford to buy our own house. This is as good as it gets. This is the permanent picture. I'm just going to have flashback Friday every day, throwback Thursday. I'm content with how it's always been in the 80s. Just take me back to the 80s. And God's saying, I'm trying to do something new. We're going to have to delete that Instagram account and start a new one because you just keep on looking at the same old pictures. And God's saying, I got something new for you, but you got to get out of the tent of contentment. And it's actually unholy contentment. Some people have taken Philippians 4.11 that says, I've learned the secret to be content, whether I'm abased or abounding. But they've, they've perverted it. And they, they've almost accepted that God wants us to always be abased. The word abase means God always wants us to suffer, to be low, to barely get by, to survive, to never have enough, uh, to bless other people, to barely have enough just to eat the food that we need for that day. 
And God's saying, that's not the kind of contentment that Paul was talking about. Because the same guy wrote Ephesians 3.20 that says, I can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask, hope, dream, or imagine. And that same guy also wrote Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches, not his poverty, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Some people have settled, they've put a tent over an unholy contentment and God's trying to stir up your hunger for more. He's saying, listen, I, I didn't call you to be addicted to that habit your whole life. I guess I'm just always gonna be addicted. I guess I'm always gonna be feeling this way. I guess I'm always gonna battle depression. And we put tents over this as if that's our life. We camp out in the tent of despair, the tent of skepticism, the tent of fear. And God's saying, come on, come out of the tent. Watch what he says in verse four. The word of the Lord came to him saying, that man will not be your heir, but he who shall come from your own body shall be your heir. It was good that God said it, but God couldn't just say it to him while he was still in the tent. Watch what happens in verse five. And God brought him outside of his tent. Sometimes God has to pull you out of that mindset. By the grace of God, sometimes he rescues you to get out of there and once Abram comes out, I wonder if Abram kind of wanted to get back in the tent. Because <laughs> the second you step out, you start to realize there's no ceiling. And God says, look up. Count the stars if you can. Count the stars if you can. If you're able to number them. The children you have are gonna outnumber the sand on the seashore, the stars in the sky. Abraham's like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. God, there's too many to count. Exactly. God was saying, you're asking me for one child. I'm trying to give you a billion kids. You're asking me for one pay raise. I'm trying to get you to own the company. You're asking me to pay for this year's you know, tuition money for school. I'm trying to cover your whole college tuition and some more. You're asking me just enough money to pay the bills this month. You're asking me to just let you live one more month. I'm trying to heal you of the cancer. I'm trying to set you free of the debt. I'm trying to get you to be the head and not the tail. But see, it all comes back to how you view God. When I was in college, there were some guys that tried to talk me out of viewing God as a good God. Viewing God as a God of so much more who actually wants to bless his kids. They were like, Paul, that was only for the Jewish people back then. They were called to live prosperous and blessed. In the New Testament, we're all called to suffer. We're all called to just barely get by like little worms. We're just supposed to barely worm our way through the earth, make no impact. You know, we're, we're just supposed to always borrow from the banks. Prosperity is, is bad. God doesn't want to prosper you. It's, it's evil. Prosperity is bad. Increase is bad. And you know what? I started to listen to these guys. And what happened? I went into this tent. Prosperity's bad. I just, just don't believe for anything. Just, you know, that's a bad thing. But deep down inside, I had been taught the word of God. That God is a good God. That he's a good, good father. Jesus said, if you fathers on earth know how to give good gifts to your kids, when they ask you for bread, you don't hand them a rattlesnake. How much more does your father in heaven want to give the gift of the Holy Spirit to you and so much more? I started remembering the scriptures that I had been taught in victory. 
I started to bubble up. The Bible says, train a child up in the way he should go and he will not depart from it. I started to come outside of the tent and I was like, hold on. How did, how did victory start all these Bible college all, all over the world? Um, and we didn't have to borrow from a bank. And, and how did we have a Christian school that's now graduated over 10,000 kids that have come through this school since 1981 and they're changing the world all over the world? And, and, and how are we in this? And I started realizing when you partner with God, there is no limit to what he can do. When you start expanding your capacity to believe that God actually wants to help you, not just a few people, he wants to help every believer. God's will is that every believer would be blessed and would live an abundant life to be a blessing to the nations of the earth. Not just a few Jews in Israel. In the New Testament, it said we've received the same covenant that God made with Abraham back in Genesis. We are heirs to the covenant. What was the covenant? He said, I will bless you. And for those who bless you, I will bless them and those who curse you will be cursed and you will be a blessing to the nations of the earth. Either you believe that you were called to live defeated or you believe you were called to walk in victory. And when you come in this house, you're stepping into victory. You're stepping into your best life now. You're stepping into your best days yet. It's time to get out of the tent and start counting the stars. It's time to dust off some dreams, some ideas. God says, I want you to start believing for more for your family, more for your marriage. I want you to start believing for your kids to all be saved. I want you to start believing for your parents to be saved. I want you to start believing for your grandparents to be saved. I want you to start believing that you're going to fund little kids to go on mission trips and teenagers. You're going to build the next youth building. I want you to start believing that you're going to be the biggest giver in the church. I want you to start believing on a higher level. Stop limiting what God can do through you. There was a man named Oscar in the 1940s when Hitler was doing horrendous things to the Jews in Germany and all over Eastern Europe. Oscar was a womanizer. He was with a new woman every night. He would get drunk every night. He was a drunk, like constant alcohol was his biggest thing. But he had a lot of money too. He just didn't spend it well. But when he started seeing what was happening to the Jews, Oscar thought, I wonder, I wonder if God could use someone like me. I wonder if God could use a guy like me. And Oscar started saving Jews one by one. Oscar Schindler went on to save hundreds of Jews. The movie Schindler's List came out in the 90s by Steven Spielberg telling the story of this man who chose maybe God can use me. And I think about other people in the world that have gone on to do amazing things. Think about a guy named Kurt who used to stack shelves at a supermarket and he used to show up every day and he made $5 an hour. He married a woman with children and he adopted those kids as his own. He's trying his best to just be a dad to them, be a good husband to the wife, making five bucks an hour, stocking shelves, throwing stuff on the shelves because he had an arm. And he started thinking, maybe God could use me still going to church every week, tithing, but he was believing maybe there's more for my life. Kurt Warner went on to become a walk-on quarterback for the St. Louis Rams, went on to win the Super Bowl as a starting quarterback. Why? Because he simply believed that his current picture was not a permanent vision for his life. I can keep going here. When a little boy named Billy got up to preach as a 16-year-old, he peed his pants. He had four sermons to preach. He preached them all in less than 10 minutes combined. And he ran off and said, I, I don't think God could ever use a speaker like me. And the world would have missed out on Billy Graham 
if he would have dismissed himself that day. Stop excusing yourself. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies those whom he calls. I think you're a perfect candidate because when you look at Abram, he was 95 years old when God says, get out of the tent. 95 years old. God says, you're going to have kids. Abram's like, uh, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> it's not humanly possible. I think God is attracted to your weaknesses. I think God is attracted to the things that don't make sense. God wants to confound the wise. He wants to confound the strong. There's four things we can learn from this passage. Number one, you've got to see outside the tent. You've got to start to see outside the tent. What do you see for your life right now? What do you see for your future? Isaiah 43 verse 19 says, see, I am doing a new thing. I'm doing something new. I'm about to make a way in the wilderness, a stream in the desert. What do you see for your life? What you see is what you will be one day. You've got to see it in here. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. The future belongs to those who can see what others cannot see. Now, there's a lot of people that have accepted the current picture. They've put it in the tent and they can't see a future for their life. I've talked with people that say, man, I could never imagine that I'll own my own house. I could never imagine that I would actually own a company. I could never imagine writing a book. I could never imagine pastoring, you know, I could never imagine getting married. I could never imagine having kids. I could never imagine being a good dad. I could never, and as long as you could never imagine, you won't. Because your imagination is your limitation. And if you constantly imagine small, if you see small, you live small. You've got to start seeing a larger life on the inside. You've got to start seeing what God wants to do. When I became the pastor of Victory, I was so discouraged when I came in this room because I said, God, this room is too big. No one's building auditoriums this big. Dad, why did you build a big auditorium? I'm talking to my dad while he's up in heaven. <laughs> you know, I'm like, Dad, why did you build? We're never going to see people come. And, and I was discouraged and I was, I was feeling uh, like I just didn't have a vision for the future. And I heard God say, Paul, why don't you go down to Houston, Texas? Take a few days. Okay, what's in Houston, Texas? So I get Ashley, I was like, let's go down to Houston, Texas. What are we gonna do? I don't know, God wants us to go down there for a few days. He says there's this church called Lakewood that we just need to look at. So I drive down there, I walk in the auditorium, 18,000 seats. And God goes, if I did it here, I can do it there. If I did it for Joel, I can do it for you. If I did it for Lake, I could... Paul, stop limiting what I can do based on what you see in the natural. Now, Abram had to wait 20 years. When God said that to me, I was so excited. I was like, next week, we're going to see it. And God was like, it's a process. And you can get discouraged in the process when you don't see immediate results. Because we're a microwave generation serving a crockpot God. Right? We're like, put it in for 30 seconds. Boom, I want 2,000 people and I want to have everything I want. And God's like, it doesn't work like that. If you got everything you needed and wanted exactly when you wanted it, you would have no faith, patience, or trust. It requires faith, patience, and trust to see the promises and the provision come to pass. So you've got to keep the vision in front of you every single year. 20 years go by, and Abram still is frustrated. He hasn't seen it yet. But God says, just around the river bend. There's so much more just around the river bend. Come on. God was trying to stir up Abram's vision to see so much more for his life. Number two, you gotta think outside the tent. You gotta think outside the tent. What are you thinking right now? Your most dominant thoughts will become your most dominant action. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. 
So what are you thinking about? Romans chapter 12, verse two says, in order for you to be transformed in your life, it happens through renewing your thoughts. You've gotta start thinking on a higher level. You've gotta start thinking, Lord, I'm fixing my thoughts on things that are praiseworthy and true. If you're constantly thinking about, man, I'm never gonna get that, I'm never gonna do that, we'll never see that happen. God, I just wish you'd show, you've gotta start changing your thoughts. God came to Joshua in Joshua chapter one and said, you are gonna possess the land. Moses is dead, but now Joshua, it's your turn. Go out and possess the promised land. Now Joshua was discouraged, he was afraid, his mentor was gone. But God said, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And everywhere your foot touches, you will take possession of that land. And everything your hand touches, I will cause it to prosper. Yes, I will give you success on the left and the right and the front and the back. But here's the condition. There's conditions to the blessed life. A lot of people want to live the blessed life, but they won't surrender their life to Jesus. A lot of people want to live the blessed life, but continue to let their mind go into the trash can of junk. And listen, if your mind is thinking on junk, you will not experience the blessing that God has. You got to get rid of that. You got to get rid of stinking thinking. You got to flush it. Flush it down the toilet. Flush that junk. Everybody say, flush that junk. When a thought comes up that's not of God, flush it. If it's a thought of fear, a thought of poverty, a thought of our family's never going to be able to afford that, I'll never have a good car, I'm always going to have to get a car that never really works, and it's always going to have to get worked on, stop believing a limited life for you. If you need a, a good car so you can be a better blessing to your family, ask God for it. Hold it in your vision. Believe it. And then meditate. This was what God told Joshua. Meditate on my word day and night. Therefore, you will be prosperous. Meditation is not just reading three chapters of the Bible a day. There's a lot of people who miss out on meditation because they go, oh, I just got to read three chapters a day. And that's meditation could just be focusing on one scripture for an entire week. So every day you get up and you just focus on Philippians 419. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Okay, now it's time to go to the next verse. No, it's not. Meditate on Philippians 4. My God. You, you need to meditate on one scripture for a week. Whatever it is that you're praying for, whatever it is you're dealing with, by his stripes, I am healed. For the man in the room that's battling cancer, you just meditate on this scripture. By his stripes, I am healed. You got to go read three chapters. No, no, no. Meditate on the scripture. By his stripes, I am healed. For the girl in the room that's having trouble at night, sleeping at night, for the girl in the room with panic attacks, the girl in the room that's stressed out, worried, I don't know who you are, but meditate on this scripture. I have the mind of Christ. I have the mind of Christ. Get it so deep down inside you that you just start saying, what's going to happen? The meditation produces revelation. The revelation produces transformation. You start walking in the new life God has for you. You got to think outside the tent. When you're inside the tent, you can't think like that. You're limited. So number three, you got to speak outside the tent. What are you saying about you? I want the keys to come up. What are you saying about your future? What are you saying about your life right now? What are you saying? The Bible says our words have power. Life and death is in the tongue. You've got to speak some things out before you see them happen in your life. You've got to become prophetic with where God's about to take you. This is why every week we start with the confession, my best days are right in front of me. Now, someone in the room might say, no, Paul, I just lost my spouse. My best days are behind me. I miss them so much. 
Coming to church is so hard. Someone in the room might say, Paul, my best days aren't in front of me. I'm, I'm addicted. I got so many addictions. I'm so messed up. Paul, my best days aren't in front of me because my wife just left me. Paul, my best days aren't in front of me because my son hates me. My, my best days, stop declaring what you see and start declaring what's going to happen. Stop declaring what you see in the natural. Start declaring what you see in the supernatural. We were not called to live from earth to heaven. We were called to live from heaven to earth. You've got to take the heavenly principles and bring them into the earth domain. You've got to start believing, speaking, declaring outside of the tent of what the earth says is possible. You know what's interesting is in verse 6, it says Abram believed God. He believed God. Look, look at this in the Amplified Version of Genesis 15, verse 6. It says Abram believed in, trusted in, relied on, remained steadfast. You got to get out of the microwave mindset. You got to Listen, I was talking with a pastor this last week. I went to go preach in Knoxville, Tennessee. It took me forever just to get there on that Friday night. I had to drive from Greenville, South Carolina. Flights got totally redirected. I'm driving through the fog. It's raining. And the fog was lasting so long I couldn't see 10 feet in front of me. And I had to just believe that I was going to not hit a car in front of me. I had my brights on, driving through the fog of the Smoky Mountains to get there. And I show up, but I felt like God had put a word in my heart for these guys. It was a men's conference. And that night I started speaking a message similar to this and at the end about 30 men gave their life to Christ but the pastor came down and he was in tears and he said man I I started this church six years ago and he said um, he said you're the first pastor that I've heard talk so transparently about your your struggles your failures your difficulties he said it, I feel like I'm, I'm getting permission to talk about my testimony I've just never really talked it out loud he said, a year into starting our church, we had shrunk down to 15 people. And he said, I was so tempted to just quit, just to shut the church down because I felt like the biggest failure. He said, I was, I was 35, I had three kids, had a wife, and we couldn't live. He said, we were giving everything to the church and there was only 15 people coming. And he said, um, ARC was the ones who planted us as a church. They're a big organization that helps church planters, association of related churches. And, um, and he said, I called ARC just to say, you know, please give me a list of some pastors. How many churches have y'all planted? They, they said, we planted, you know, close to a thousand churches. He said, could you give me a list of some of the pastors that really struggled in their first year, that were running like 15, 20 people that today are doing much better? And the guy on the other line said, there aren't any. And the pastor was so discouraged. He said, what do you mean? He said, everyone who, who dropped down to that number, they quit their church. They folded it. They shut it down. They merged it with other people. They left. And the pastor just was discouraged. He said, I just was sitting there and I was weeping. And something stirred up inside him. He said, put my name on a list. Because he said, I want pastors to call me five years from now. I'm going to be the one that tells them there's more. Things are going to turn around. You might be discouraged, but you're going to make it. He said, here we are now running 800 people every week, three services. They, they were given an entire building. They were get, like literally just handed to them an entire building, children's church wing, youth wing, main auditorium, 10 acres for to, to build future. And, and he said, Paul, 
what I realized, because I kept saying in my sermon, if you don't quit, you win. If you don't quit, you win. If you don't quit, you win. If you don't quit, if you'll just outlast the haters, if you'll outlast the skeptics, if you'll outlast the betrayers, if you'll outlast the people who left you, if you'll outlast the drug addicts, if you'll outlast the alcohol, if you'll outlast the bar, if you'll out, this church's best days are right in front of us because we are steadfast. We're going to see the miracle no matter how long it takes. I refuse to quit. If you refuse, to quit you can see the breakthrough what God was telling Abram was Abram I'm trying to change your heart as you become steadfast in my word you're gonna see the child come and not just one you're gonna be the father of many nations but you got to declare it. you got to speak it out number four you got to move outside the tent faith without works is dead you 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 just need to crucify the tent you need to leave the tent behind. You need to say, all right, I'm done with the tent. Lord, I want to live in the open sky. Lord, I want to count the stars on a daily basis. Lord, I'm going to start walking by faith. Faith without works is dead. So you've got to put some action to it. There's got to be steps. It can't just be a prayer. The end destination of faith is not just a prayer. There's action to it. God started challenging my wife and I in our first year of marriage that we would be more than just tithers, we would be big time givers. That we would give beyond what we thought we could give. That we would stretch our faith. And for specific vision that God was stirring in our hearts, that we would stretch our faith. What happened? God started showing up. I shared this last week, but I want to show it one more time. Josh, will you come up here? Come on, wide receiver Josh, come over here. When you look in the scriptures, there's always connection to God's provision. Things don't just happen on accident. God has connection. When God gave Abraham the ram in the thicket, it's because Abraham walked up the mountain with Isaac. When God brought provision to, to the, the mass crowd of people through Jesus, it was because a little boy brought five loaves and two fish. God works with what you bring. To, there's a route to step into the provision and the favor that God has for you. A lot of people are like, Lord, gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give gimme, 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 gimme. But then we're stingy. And God's like, I showed you the route. It's in Malachi 3.10. You saw it with the football coach. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, down. And that there may be food in my house, set. And try me now in this hut, says the Lord, if I will not open up the windows of heaven, and God throws the provision and people are standing on the line of scrimmage. Where's the provision? And people think God's got to come up with the provision. They're like, I know. I mean, there's a shortage in heaven. Economy's really bad. God's working at McDonald's right now just trying to No, I need 10,000 G's, God. I need 10. I need 10K. I know that's going to be tough. God's like, hold up. That's going to take me six months to produce $10,000 for you. You know, I, I only own one cow now. So let me just. The Bible says he owns a cattle on a thousand hills and all the mineral rights underneath it. He's the wealthiest source. You aren't working for an employer. You're working for God. He sees every secret, generous thing you do for others. And he says, I'm going to honor that. I'm going to honor that. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. You can get mad at me, but I'm telling you, it works. It works. So someone's in here going, man, I just wish I could pay pay for some things for my family. I just wish I could help people out. I just wish I could go on a missions trip. Man, God, if you could just 
you know, go work for me for a little bit, God, so you can produce the money because I know you don't have it yet, so you got to get the money ready. God's like, no, I got the money ready. I'm trying to get you to move to the spot where it is. I'm trying to get you to move to, I've got the, God does not need time to produce your dream. He has your dream lined up. He has your provision lined up. He has your connections lined up. He's just trying to get you ready to step into it. God says, I got to work on your character before I promote you to that top level position. He's got the position lined up for you. He's trying to get you prepared for the position. So one of the ways we activate our faith is in our tithes and offerings. It's when we give to God. It's when we seek first the kingdom of God. And so imagine this, Josh, the route's going to be that way. We don't want to hurt anyone this time. All right, here we go. So Luke chapter six says, give and it shall be given back to you. Give down, set, hut, and it shall be given back to you. Come on, we got it this time. Pressed down, shaking together, running over. Come on, do a touchdown victory dance. Touchdown, yeah, <laughs> yes. Give Josh a big hand. God has so much more for you. Everybody say, count the stars. Hey, here's what I want us to do. This, is, this series is gonna carry us to the end of the year. We're gonna have a Heart for the House miracle offering on December 1st and 2nd. But I wanna prepare your hearts right now that before we go into a time of prayer, I dare you to stretch your faith. But let me do this first. I wanna pray for anyone right now. If you would just bow your heads, close your eyes, don't leave. We're gonna have a time to respond to God with our offering and a time to respond to God down here at the altar. But if you're here right now and it's been hard for you to trust in God, it's been hard for you to just believe in God, and, and let God be Lord of your life. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand all over this room. Yeah, hands going up all over the room. You're not alone. God sees it. He says, I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna give you strength. I'm gonna give you wisdom. I'm gonna give you grace. I love you. I'm for you. I'm not against you. I'm not trying to take from you. I'm actually trying to add to you. There is no subtraction with God that does not lead to some sort of a multiplication in your life. When God says, bring the tithe, He's actually setting you up to multiply. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I surrender to you. I choose to trust in you. I choose to walk by faith and not by sight. I repent of sin and I receive your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me and setting me up to walk in victory in every area of my life, in my finances, in my relationships, in my dreams, in my health. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, let's give to the Lord this morning. At the end of your row, there's offering envelopes. We're gonna pass them down. If you came today and you're ready to give, man, take an envelope. If you came today and you said, Paul, I'm not really ready to give, but I'll take an envelope this week just to pray and see if God may bless me in some way to stretch my faith to give. It starts in the mind. If you will start trusting God right now with the little that you have, I'm telling you, some people say, I'll give when I have more. But it's, it's a mindset. Blessed, mind, blessed life is a mindset. The prosperous life, it's a mindset. If you will learn to trust him right now, like the little boy did with five loaves and two fishes, God says, I've got so much more for you. Trust me in this. Bring the tithe into the storehouse. Watch what I will do. You can give today right online or text to give. 
and our worship team is going to lead us in a song. And then we're going to close out right here with the time at the altar to worship God. And as you're giving, you can fill out prayer requests, praise report, or you could do it right there online or through the text. But we lift up every prayer request, every praise report. Lord, I thank you right now for every seed that's being sown, every dime, every penny, every dollar. It matters. And Lord, you see the needs in their life. You see the tent that they're living in. And Lord, I thank you that you're calling them out and you're saying, count the stars. Get ready. There's so much more in your future. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship God as we give. So let hope rise Darkness tremble in your holy light Every eye will see Jesus our God Great and mighty to be praised With everything something right here right now if you're in a place where you are waiting for something to come to pass I want you to leave your seat come down to this altar as a step of faith if you find your place in the same place as Abram in Genesis 15 saying God you told me I would have children it hasn't happened yet if you're in a place where you're waiting on a dream to come to pass waiting for finances to turn around waiting for your marriage to get healed waiting for your kids to get healed waiting for that child to come back to God maybe you're waiting right now for a legal situation to turn around. I wanna pray for those of you in this room that are waiting on a miracle because God showed up that night for Abram and he said, Abram, I'm your exceedingly great reward and what I have in store for you is so much bigger than you can imagine. But you've gotta to learn to trust me. You've gotta to learn to shake off the feelings of exhaustion and weariness. I believe there's a second wind coming to some of you this morning. There's a second, there's a fresh wind a fresh fire that's going to come inside you to start exercising your faith. A stretch of faith in Jesus' name. As you're coming down to this altar, I want to say something right now. The next thing that God did to Abram was he changed his name. He changed his name before he changed his circumstance. Whatever the name that you've been saying over yourself, you need to start saying a name of blessing. If you've been calling yourself poor, 
start calling yourself rich. If you've been calling yourself addicted, start calling yourself free. If you've been calling yourself ugly, start calling yourself beautiful. If you've been calling yourself inadequate, start calling yourself valuable. If you've been calling yourself unworthy, unusable, start calling yourself qualified by Jesus Christ. If you've been calling yourself ashamed, guilty, carrying secret sins, start calling yourself forgiven in Jesus name. By the grace of God, I am who I am. I'm not going to hide my past. My past is proof that there's a God in heaven, that he can use guys like Oscar Schindler. He can use anybody to get out of whatever they've been in the tent of a the tent of whatever it is. Now, when God changed Abram's name, he said, Abram, you are now Abraham and I will bless you. And he said, this time next year, this time next year, you will have a child. What happened in Genesis 21? The Lord was gracious. Sarah got pregnant. They had their child. And Sarah said, everyone will laugh. The Lord has brought laughter into my life. I believe God's going to cause you to laugh on some of these things that have been stressing you out. At some point, things are going to turn around, but you got to hold on to faith. I believe laughter is coming in Jesus name.